Thank you, brother. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? Excited? Happy to be here? All right, good, me too. Let's give the Lord a hand clap this morning. So um, the ushers are going to take up their collection now, and, and uh, as they do that, I'm just going to give you a quick explanation of this message. So, um, you know, as Pastor Brian and I, and, and Sam as well, we've been trying to sort of you know, get on the same page as far as the vision and make sure that everyone here is very clear of what that vision is and what this looks like going forward. So uh, admittedly, this is a recycled message. Uh, and I, as I said in the first service, not out of laziness, but because um, it is necessary that everyone understand the direction we're moving as a church. Amen. So you might have seen when we first started merging, that was, there were South Coast Community Church uh, shirts with the arrows and the circles on the back. And they were one pointing up, a couple in, and then a couple out. And uh, the reason we did that, we actually just had 100 more shirts made. But now, with the new CFC logo, with the arrows on the back, everyone's going to get one, right? So that way, when you go out into a supermarket and somebody asks you, or when you're at the store or you're at a family gathering, they say, what are those arrows all about? After today, you're going to be able to explain that really well to them. It's going to create an opportunity for you to share the gospel and to explain what this upward, outward, and inward thing is all about. Amen? All right. So in order for us to get right, first upwardly, vertically, if you will, there has to be some sort of standard or fork, right? We've got to know what we're tuning to. So there's this great quote by A.W. Tozer, and it says this. It says, has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could, be, could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. Make sense? Basically, what, what Tozer is saying here is, is that, you know, there's only one perfect fork for us to tune to. You know, what happens a lot of times is, is we look at the people around us and we see the ones who are the really good religious ones, right? The ones who seem to be getting it right. And it's not to say we're not supposed to disciple each other or Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. But the reality is, is it's all about Christ. That's who we're tuning to. He's our standard. The Word of God is our standard, right? And so unless we know that, what's going to happen is, is when that person stumbles and their imperfections show, because of, inevitably they will, because we're all super imperfect, except for maybe a couple of you, right? Then we'll be lost or let down or disappointed. So it's imperative that we as Christ followers understand that God has given us this fork to tune to, if you will, the Bible, his inspired word, right? 
2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. God-breathed, inspired by Him. You know, you, you, if you've heard me speak at all in the past, you've heard me say that God held their hearts while man held the pen. Right? That everything that we read in the, in the Scriptures was inspired by him. I, even though men wrote it, you know, you always have that objection when someone says, yeah, but didn't man write the Bible? Absolutely. God used men to write the Bible, and he inspired all of it. And it has endured and persevered over the ages because of that. No matter how many crusades set out against it, to destroy it, to discontinue it, it continues to be the most published and widely purchased book year after year after year because it is the voice and the truth of our God. Amen? So once we accept and understand that the Word of God is our standard and Jesus is the living Word, as we've re read, then we begin to clear clearly see what the Lord expects from all of us and each of us. John chapter 3. There's a story, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. He sneaks off in the middle of the night to meet the, the God-man, Jesus. And Nicodemus recognizes that, you know, Jesus is a teacher who's been sent by God. But Jesus goes on to tell him, I'm so much more than that, and no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And this is where we get that familiar term, born-again Christian, which is actually redundant. Because if we are Christians, then we should be or ought to be born again. But essentially what Jesus is saying is, is that in order to even begin a walk with God, there has to be this confession of faith in Him. And then it goes on into John 3, 3 chapter, excuse me, verse 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life, for God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. This is the gospel. So I took a year-long class once with, a, with four other pastors, and our professor repeatedly reminded us to preach the gospel in its entirety on a very regular basis. He said to do this not just because we, there are people in the seats who need to hear it, but also because we, the pastors and leaders, need to as well. We all need to be reminded of this good news that promises eternal hope and security. We need to remember our why. We need to remember where we came from. We need to remember who rescued us, what he rescued us from, and what he's rescuing us to. If all of what we teach and preach is not rooted in this foundational truth, then we are failing and we are mispreaching the Word of God. And I was sharing earlier that there's a ritual I have that every time before I speak or preach or anything, I get with God for a little while and I sit and I remember the moment the gospel intruded and invaded my life. I remember the moment. So I was 25 years old the first time I really listened and heard it. 
and I received it intellectually. There was this sort of intellectual ascent, if you will, where, you know, I believed what was being said, but it did not impact my life. It did not change my heart. And all I did was tune to the wrong fork at that point, a religious one, where I tried to look like all the people I thought had it figured out. And because I was doing it carnally like that, I failed miserably for about 11 years. But I was learning, and I was hearing the word of God, and I was seeing examples and glimpses of it through my life. And as my addictions progressed and my sin manifested in my life, what ended up happening is God prescribed the right amount of grace for me. He removed everything. He brought me to my bottom where I was at the end of myself. And it was in that moment that the gospel I knew became real. And that moment when I, before I speak or preach that I spend with God, I go back to that moment, what I say is the worst day and the best day of my life was when Pastor Brian was driving away with me in his little red Toyota pickup. And my daughters were standing on my front lawn crying hysterically. And it's etched in my brain, and I'm grateful for that. Because that was the first day of the rest of my life. That was the day that God finally got a hold of me and had my ear and my heart. We need to remember that no matter how articulate we may think we are or how great a communicator we may be, that the gospel is far more powerful and effective than anything we could ever concoct on our own. It's the greatest message ever told. It's the best news we'll ever hear. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, the gospel is like a caged lion. It does not need to be defended. It just needs to be let out of its cage. So what I'm going to do this morning for my first point upward is I'm going to let the lion out of its cage. And I'm going to do that just like my professor told me because I need to be reminded of it and because all of you need to be reminded of it. And there's probably someone and there could be someone, there was someone in the first service who had heard it for the first time and called on Jesus for the first time. Amen? So there is this Roman road, Roman road to Salvation that you may have heard of. In the book of Romans, Paul sort of draws out the gospel, and these, this road that he lays it out on has these signposts. And I'm going to give you these four signposts. So if you're taking note, I want to encourage you to write these four signposts down. And also, if you need to, stick it in the front of your Bible. Put it on a smaller piece of paper, get it laminated, stick it in your glove box, put it on your dashboard, carry it in your wallet, your purse, your man purse, whatever your flavor. And, and, I, and I just want you to be very sure of these things. This is your foundation. So upward, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul clearly states this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. Operative word. Most important word in that, in that sentence. He doesn't say many, most, some. He says 
all, every single one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So when you're sharing that gospel, when you're explaining the back of that t-shirt, when you find somebody who has, doesn't know Jesus and you have the opportunity that God has created for you to share that gospel, you know that we're all equal in this, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, that they are all, they have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how nice they are. I don't care how perfect their life seems. They have sinned and they need Jesus. Amen? Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Paul's very good at clarifying things, isn't he? Not really pulling any punches there, is he? He's made sure that we're all in the same boat here. Not one of us. Not, per, not one person that's ever lived or lives now or ever will live will ever be sinless except for the person of Jesus Christ. So that's your first signpost, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Then we get to the second signpost, which is Romans chapter 6, verse 23. And it says that the wages of sin is death but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is careful because what he wants to do is he doesn't want to lose everybody. <laughs> the wages of sin of death. Once he tells everybody they just sinned and that the wages of sin of death, well, okay, then we're all dead. But see, it goes beyond that. He makes sure that he reminds us that there's a free gift from God, that is eternal life, but that is only in Jesus Christ. See, the mortality rate is 100%, isn't it? Every single person in this room at some point will be a memory. Every single person, whether they're in a baby carriage or in their twilight years. And so knowing that, knowing that the audience knows that he's not talking about a physical death. He's talking about a spiritual one. He's talking about this death that is a separation from God's love and God's grace for eternity. It is the presence of God's wrath. You know, I, I shared this morning again and Kind of a funny, vulnerable analogy, but when you were a child, was there anybody here? I'll tell you. I remember the first few times I stayed overnight somewhere else, <laughs> camp or a friend's house. And I remember right around 10, 11 o'clock, right after bedtime, I was like, I need my mom. It was like 18. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> But I remember that. I was like, you know, I, I need my mom. And this overwhelming, like, it, it was like this pit in my stomach where I just felt like I got to call her. I needed to come get me. And no matter how much or how nice the people I was staying with were to me, no matter 
how accommodating they were, no matter how loving they were, they still weren't my mom. Anybody ever been there, by the way? Am I the only one? All right, cool. Good, a few of you can relate here. How's that? I'm a mama's boy, I guess. I'm okay with that. You know, but <clears throat> that was one night. There is no one, no being that can fill us and complete us the way God can, our Heavenly Father. And so can you imagine an eternity, not one night, but an eternity that is void of Him? That should bring us that same amount of impending fear or doom that I, little Jamie, felt that night at my friend's house. We should be at a place where we are so desperate for his presence and understand the gravity of his absence that we want to be near him and we want to take this invitation. Amen? You know what the beautiful part of it is? That even though the wage for all of our sin is death and separation from him, this free gift that was given to us at no merit, no cost on our behalf, it says in Romans 5.8 that God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not once we got right, not once we started going to church, not once we, we said a certain prayer. It wasn't that. Christ died for us while we were still in our death state. We often say, that the church is not a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners, right? We don't get right before we come to church. Religion tells us get right, then come to church. But the gospel says, come to church, God will get you right. Come to Jesus. We're all imperfect. No matter how well we dress or how well we carry ourselves or how fluent we are in Christianese, the reality is, is that we're all a mess on the inside to some degree, aren't we? Some of us, your heads are really about to fall off. I got you. But that's where grace comes in, isn't it? While we were still sinners. So we've been down two signposts now, right, on our journey. Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, and now we get to our third signpost, which is Romans chapter 10, verse 9. And that says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's no disclaimer on that verse. There's no, as long as you do X, Y, and Z and proclaim him as Lord, you'll be saved. There's no church attendance tacked on to that. There's no tithing tacked on to that. There's no amount of good deeds tacked on to that. Salvation has nothing to do with our works. Did you know that? Nothing to do with our religion. That all that work has been done for us. On the cross, Jesus did everything. We sing the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. All to him I owe. And so we look at verses like Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, where it says it's by grace you've been saved through faith, which is a gift from God, a free gift of grace, 
from God so not one of us can boast because it has nothing to do with our works. Our religion, without him at the center of it, without us having a healthy, fruitful, faithful life in Christ is garbage. It means nothing. It's self-meritorious. It's all about personal accolade, and it's prideful, and it doesn't please God. Some of us, you know, when we talk to people um, maybe who came from different backgrounds of faith or different denominations and religions or people who don't have any faith or know God at all, when you talk to them about where do you think you're going to go when you die, they'll say, probably to heaven. And you say, why? Well, because I haven't killed anybody. (laughs) Or I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Or I don't do this. Or I'm a pretty good person. And that's our opportunity. I can't speak for your good deeds. I'm sure there are many. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a perfect God with a perfect standard who is perfectly just and who will judge us according to our sin. Yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 10, verses 10 through 13 goes on to say, For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scriptures say, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who can call on him. Or whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no distinction. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic background is. It doesn't matter your orientation. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. God only sees the heart. This is about your soul. This is about your eternity. It doesn't matter how addicted you were. It doesn't matter how disgusting or criminal you were. It doesn't matter how adulterous you were. It doesn't matter how far you've gone or how dark your life has ever gotten. It it means nothing. Because you know why? Because the cross and what Christ did on that cross is so much greater than anything we could imagine that once we understand that, then we can get by ourselves. Fourth and final signpost. It should be a welcome sign, actually, or an arrival. It says in Romans 5:1, therefore, having been justified, excuse me, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's this portion of scripture that we often share at a believer's funeral. And it's a beautiful thing. It's Romans chapter 8, verses 38 through 39, and it says, Paul wrote, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. How much should that encourage us? That when we are in Christ, 
that nothing can separate us from God's love. That's it. He says that he holds us in the palm of his hand and that nothing and no one can snatch us out of it. Now, this is where some doctrines divide. But all I'm going to say is this. Ephesians chapter 2 tells me that I am dead in my sin. It says that you were dead in your sin and you were objects of wrath just like the others, like the rest of the world, because you're all sinful and all fall short. And then there's this beautiful conjunction in verse 4 of chapter 2 where it says, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, but God made you alive in Christ Jesus, but God saved you. He took dead people and he rescued them from the grave and he made us alive in Christ. And that's where it goes on to say, it's by grace you've been saved, not by faith. So none of us can take credit for it. God rescued us. How many of us were living in our sinful lives and woke up one day and said, you know what, I think I'll choose Jesus. I'm bored. That's not how it works, is it? It's never how it works. You know why? Because we love our sin. We love, that was good. That was like perfect timing. We love our sin. Doo -doo -doo. We love our sin. You know, and, and even when our sin is killing us, even when our sin is hurting others, even when our sin is driving us into the grave, we still love it, and it gives us nothing back. Death and destruction, right? John 10, it says that that's the enemy. He's come to kill and destroy and divide. But Jesus, Jesus came to give us abundant life. Jesus came to give us a fullness that our sin could never offer us. Yet we continue to go back to that well, didn't we? Drinking from a dry hole. The reality is, is that grace invaded our lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it awoke in us, and it brought us out of the grave, and it gave us a second chance to live. And that's what Nicodemus was talking about. It's what Jesus was talking about to Nicodemus that you must be born again into this life. And once you are, your life begins. Amen? So that's it in detail. That's the gospel. The entire point is to reconcile a severed relationship between us and God. And I know that you may not have the opportunity to preach it in the depth that I have just now. I know that in Stop and Shop, it might be hard in the frozen food section to dissect it and preach it as lively as I did. But Paul said, be many things to many men, didn't he? So we make a conversation out of it. And so we look for the opportunity to connect with the person. And we share the gospel. We let it out of its cage.